Welcome to episode 292 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to another episode. We've got a fun episode for you. We have an interview. It's been a while. Uh, I think the last uh-huh. time we talked to uh, Zach over at Dribble and before that, Ihani from GitHub, but uh, it's been few and far between. So today we're really excited to have Lindsay Berry on the show. Uh, we'll get into that a bit later and we talk about design systems and uh, writing about design and lots of other things. So a bunch of cool stuff. Before we get into it, though, we got to thank our sponsor, Abstract, for making this episode possible. Yes, thank you to Abstract for sponsoring this episode. Abstract is the design workflow management for modern design teams. Today, designers spend a ton of time searching for files and trying to consolidate feedback from a bunch of different sources, and you never really know what changes have been incorporated and what's been approved. So the team over at Abstract has been working to solve these problems. Abstract is like GitHub, but for designers, for people like us. It's a version-controlled <laughs> source of truth for all of your design work, bringing your design workflow into a single, unified place for designers, you, for developers, and any other stakeholder in your company that you want to collaborate with and uh, keep the work moving forward. It is end-to-end collaboration, everything from versioning design files and storing them, requesting reviews, collecting feedback, presenting work, and then handing a spec off to development. All this is built on Abstract, a platform that works both on and offline. In just the last couple of years, Abstract has over 100,000 users. That includes people from companies like Intuit and Zappos and MailChimp and thousands of others across 75 countries. They all rely on Abstract to improve their design workflows. So as the roles of designers and developers and product managers become more intertwined, The team at Abstract believes that a more collaborative and open platform will enable faster production cycles. Today, Abstract seamlessly integrates with all of your sketch files, which is the design tool of choice for many of you out there. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, they're going to continue to roll out support for more and more file types from the Adobe suite to beyond. So what can you do today? Go to abstract.com and sign yourself and your team up for a 30-day free trial. That's at abstract.com. Get started for free. Get your team on board and experience the magic of Source of Truth version-controlled design work. That's at abstract.com. Thank you so much to Abstract. Thanks, Abstract. All right, Marshall. We got a little uh-huh. bit of follow-up this week. We do. So uh, last week, we we complained a little bit that nobody had sent us some episode 300 suggestions. Uh, so we finally got some. We did. Should we go through these? Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. So all of these are from uh, listener Jonathan Fisher, uh, who DM'd us a bunch of ideas, some more serious than others, uh, and some we really like. So uh, let's let's run through these. You do the first one, Marshall. Okay. So I think we have to do this, which is surprise third guest host, Design Details alumnus, he himself, Bryn Jackson. Oh, oh boy. The boy himself. Uh-huh. The mean boy, TM. <laughs> oh, he's not. Uh, I was just trying to make a joke about I guess your, it would be a name. surprise, though, because I doubt he'll hear this. I don't know if he listens to the show. He probably doesn't. Actually, I don't think he does. <laughs> so it would truly be a surprise for him. Uh-huh. That's a good idea. Uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. also suggested that we do a, a stream or recording of Marshall walking through his side projects Figma file. I think uh, he meant uh, sketch. Sketch file, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that a good Figma one. Figma file is jacked. Did not import well. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Uh, yeah, as long as my face isn't in it, sure. Uh, as only your chin. 
<laughs> okay. Another one he said is uh, invite our parents onto the show to hear about how uh, we were as kids. I'm scared of that one. I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'll have to mull on that one for another 300 episodes. I think. <laughs> I think I need to be in my 40s before I'm ready for that. Okay. Well, I'm almost there, I and I'm, I'm. I think I'm more okay with it than you are. I'm catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, another suggestion from Jonathan: just read through the most recent posts on Designer News. Perfect. 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 <laughs> this actually prompted me to go to Designer News. Uh huh. Oh boy. How'd that go? Uh, I mean, it's like there's some stuff there that's fine, but then there's a lot of stuff there that's not fine. And I immediately landed on the not fine stuff. <laughs> so that was chill. Anyways, those were some of the ideas from Jonathan Fisher. Thanks, John, for the yeah, suggestions. Thanks, uh, I like the first one, but Gotta maybe we'll that. get some more suggestions and uh, we'll make 300 really fun either way. I'll, I'll have my people call my parents people. We'll, we'll figure out something. I'll have my people uh, call Bryn's people, <laughs> there I you guess. Go. Uh, I think that's mostly just Pokemon at this point. So have Sarah have have Sarah call herself. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have Sarah set up a conference call. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So those are some good ideas. Uh, if you have any of your own, we'd love to hear them. Uh, maybe some of these sparked some ideas in your own mind of what we could do. So send them to to us on Twitter. Uh, links in the show notes. And uh, we got anything else in follow up here, Brian? Yeah, we've got one more tweet that came from Jason Sismati. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Jason's talking about our, our last episode where we talked about the Figma UI redesign. And Jason said, as a visual designer, I would have loved to see you guys dig into the Figma UI refresh in a bit more detail. I think they did a lot of great things with the refresh, but also broke some well-established visual design principles. I think we could have. I think we probably could have talked more about it. I think we were recording that a day after it had come out, maybe two days after. Mm-hmm. And neither of us had used it. And since well, then, I've used it a lot. So I've okay. been in Figma all week. Okay. So I would have more opinions now, but at the time, not a whole lot. And it's already been so corrupted because I'm used to the changes at this point. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I can I, I don't know if I can speak super objectively about some of this stuff. Um, so you've, you've already become accustomed to the things that are different. Yes. The That's changes like, were very fast to adapt to. I, I think I hear... It's a good sign. I think I probably still agree with some of the the main feedback around removing border borders from inputs and things like that. Yeah, I think that I did that. remove some of the clarity of what interactions were possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they made some things smaller. I think they made the like color swatches smaller. There's some like small scroll areas, but otherwise the the actual things that they made consistent are quite noticeable and that feels good. So, uh, and I I think they're continuing to ship fixes. I've gotten a couple more pop-ups for, you know, updates are ready to install. So it seems like they're hopefully patching a lot of the the early bugs and things that were not working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But thanks for the tweet, Jason. We'll, we'll, we'll try and keep that in mind. I think more detail is better than none. And last week's was maybe a little bit shallow. And then we ended up talking more about like feedback itself. So I blame you because I don't use the, (laughs) I don't use it. That's fine. Although I never did my sketch review, sketch 52 or whatever. I think it's on 54 now. (laughs) (laughs) We'll wait for 60 or something. Yeah. Some nice round number. Well, speaking of sketch 54, since I bring it up, yeah, there's a new sketch version out and they uh, fixed a few different things, snapping. But the main thing for me is they updated the way measuring looks. So everything is far more readable. You can change the color, which I think you always could. You could change the color of the the guides themselves, but is that what they call them? Guides? R- uh, rules? 
Guides? Well, there's rulers and guides, and then maybe this is like, I think it's just called measurement. Hmm. So what'd they change? So what they did is they put essentially a backing, a little container around the number of the measurement, right? Uh, Before it was just free floating with no background protection whatsoever. And now there's background protection. The problem for me was that um, the text, it does not respect the color that you choose or it does not like try to be high contrast to the color you choose. It's just always white, right? Mm. So the number is always white. So you can't use a lighter color. Um, so I ended up just picking, I had it on, um, I think it starts on a, a nice clear blue, right? Like a real deep sky blue, but the white doesn't have super high contrast on it. And I was having trouble reading it cause I'm getting old and my eyes don't work as well, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I just need new contacts anyways. <laughs> yeah, um, that'd be depressing. Wow. I changed the color around a bunch and the only thing that really worked well for me was kind of a charcoalish gray. And that's fine. It's fine. Like it, it works on everything. And now I can read those numbers all the time <laughs> instead of having to squint if the, because I used to use like a cyan color, which worked over most things, whites, blacks, reds. Uh, but anything that was blue, it kind of it became hard to read. And you have to like zoom in or out if the number is on top of other text and gets, you know, obscured by noise. Right. So yep. now I can actually read everything. And it's like, little quality of life improvement that that made me very, very happy. So this is really cheers. nice. I'm, I'm looking at their blog post. I, I would actually hope Figma would do something like this because they have all the, the same or similar measurement tools for measuring between layers. Uh-huh. Uh, and that text gets lost really easily, especially if you have any sort of like red, of course, since that's the default. But like I, I do work mm-hmm. with some GitHub stuff that's like red labels and you can never measure in between labels because, mm-hmm. well, they're red. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I would like to see, like I said, I would like to see the the label itself be respect the color that you choose and be white if you're on a dark color and black if you're on a lighter color. Um, right, right. Regardless. But uh, one of the other things that they did is I think they changed how the measurements actually happen. So now you kind of, this is going to be hard to describe, but before this update, there was some, there were some restrictions to where you could measure. So the the objects had to be in a certain relationship to each other. Like uh, if they were overlapping, it would mean you would get a certain type of measurement. If they weren't overlapping, you'd get another type. You know, if they're aligned on certain axes, you would get some measurements sometimes and not on others. Does this make sense? Probably not. You just have to feel it in practice. But <laughs> now it seems like... You gotta feel it, really feel it. The Those restrictions are looser or they, they've added measurements for more things that... Um, or for more situations of the alignment of the two objects are trying to measure against each other. Okay. So it's mostly like interior measurements. So like if you have a large object on the left and, and a smaller object on the right and they're center aligned, but they don't overlap, those were hard to measure before. You'd have to overlap them to see how much distance was above and below. Do you, do you have this picture in your mind? Yep. You'd have to overlap them so that you could you could get that measurement. Now they don't have to be overlapped. They, they'll still show you those those vertical measurements outside of the small one, um, even if they're not overlapping, which That's is really nice. nice. Yeah, I, I think like the difference between the heights is what you're trying mm-hmm. to measure. Yeah, 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 difference between the heights when they're not overlapping. I'm terrible at words. Why am I in a podcast? I don't know what I'm doing. No, 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 no. That makes sense. <laughs> um, that's great. I think, yeah, a little quality of life, things like that make a lot of sense. And some of this, I hope. Thing that doesn't. I don't know. Like, it sort of makes me sad that the tools are doing so much overlapping work. 
Uh, but I guess mm-hmm. that's just the landscape right now. Like they'll <laughs> yeah. sort of leapfrog each other, hopefully uh, for the next several years and we'll end up with something that's just incredible. But in the mm-hmm. meantime, it's just like during the leapfrog phase, it's like, okay, well now we're just have to wait for Figma to, to kind of catch up. So. Yep. It's like, yeah, this is true of every competitive market. It's like, okay, if, if something is a good idea as humans, we're going to do it twice, right? Like <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. as a human race, we're going to decide to do it two times by separate people, not talking to each other because competition, but you know, that's how it works. So yeah. cool. Well, that's uh sketch 54. Anything else in, in news, Marshall? Should we move on? Let's move on. Cool. We've got a listener question this week. Uh, this one comes from Chris Donor, friend of the pod. Chris asks, Yo, Marshall Bach, I've got a possible question for the show. I'm sur- super curious around actual tactical usage of a large design system. There's plenty of reading material about what a design system is and how to make and grow it, but there's nothing that tells me how designers actually incorporate it into their workflow and process. And we actually have someone very special to answer that question oh boy for you, chris <laughs> did you ask this question at the right time my friend? yeah great timing who better to answer this question than Lindsay berry she's a design manager on the design systems team over at lyft and in in this interview we actually get into a lot of the logistics and, and tactical stuff here that goes into implementing and maintaining and and enforcing and evangelizing a design system so hopefully mm-hmm. hopefully we get into to enough detail to answer your question chris yeah, let's just get into that interview. Cool. Well, here here we go. Here's our interview with Lindsay Berry from Lyft. Uh, hi, Lindsay. Hello. Uh, hi. <laughs> we all just met two minutes ago. We're we're meeting over audio. So this is, I think, the first time I've met somebody purely on audio. It's kind of... Yeah, me too. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, for people who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and I guess how you would describe what you're working on right now? Sure. Uh, so I'm Lindsay Berry. I am a design manager on the Lyft design system, which we call the Lyft product language. Uh, and previous to that, I was an associate creative director at an agency working on design systems for various product companies. Uh, what kind of product companies? My favorites were like SpaceX and Tesla and Fitbit, but I have a a piece of my heart with Audemars Piguet, which was a a Swiss watch company that I worked with for like two years on their system. Uh, I I know about Audemars. I listen to rap songs. Yeah, they're heavily featured in rap songs. Like Beyonce in particular loves Audemars Piguet, which is phenomenal. Wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what about like SpaceX and Tesla? Those are big names. What was the work like there? Yeah, so the Tesla one was super long time ago, creating their very first website, oh, uh, wow. which now they've wow. iterated on numerous times. And then with SpaceX, it was also the reiteration of the website, which is very close to what they have now. But obviously, they've updated it since I did that probably like four or five years ago. Did you like know Elon Musk or was it just coincidence <laughs> that you worked on his companies? Uh, so the company I worked at, Otopod, uh, loved working with Elon and his companies. Uh, and I think that we had like a really great relationship. So I've been in like reviews with him, but I do not know him personally. <laughs> oh, you didn't get to meet the guy. Oh. That's no. probably okay though. And so you moved from Otopod to Lyft, is that right? Yep. I At the time at Otopod, when you're building design systems from an agency side, you're creating this beautiful thing, but 
you don't really know your user, which at the end of the day is the designers and engineers and PMs at those products. So you're trying really hard to understand them and what they'll need. But at what you're asked to do is just deliver this thing whole hog. And when you deliver it and you send it out there with the best intentions, you kiss it, you wave it goodbye. Uh, and then like a year or two years later, you see the redesign or the site or the app that comes out with that piece. And it looks completely different. <laughs> Yay, uh, that's fun. Yeah. And you're just like, what happened? Uh, and and out of curiosity and maybe a little frustration, I was like, listen, I'm going to go into the belly of the beast. I'm going to go to a product company that I really believe in. Uh, to like fully understand what's happening uh, and that I can, you know, become a better system designer for it. And so when, give me a timeline, when did you join Lyft? Uh, So I joined Lyft two years ago. And what was it at the time that was appealing or stood out to you about Lyft versus, you know, all the other places you could go to work on design systems? Yeah, I think... When I came here, I'm super interested in transportation. In particular, I was uh, working with the SF, uh, Walk SF, which is like a coalition to like help people not get hit by cars in San Francisco, which is like making walking safer. Uh, And also the Better Market Street project, which was this initiative to like revitalize Market Street to like make it a better place to be, uh, which is part of the reason why like it's cut off from cars a certain amount just to like make it more friendly to transportation. Yeah. So because I love these things, I, I really felt like Lyft represented what I cared about. Uh, And then on top of that, uh, I have a best friend, Michael Wang, who worked here at the time. And I told him wherever he went, I would follow him. Uh, So here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he did leave. So I don't know. I don't know what the implication there is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying it a lot. So, you know, we'll see. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll follow him again. Before we get into the Lyft stuff, I'm really curious about the Walk SF thing. How did you, what, what was the like design strategy around helping people not get hit by cars? Yeah, so they're a super interesting group of people. Uh, I found out about them through this uh, event that they do every year called Peak to Peak. Uh, and basically you walk, I think it's like across, so you walk across San Francisco, it's like many miles, probably like 15 at the end of the day, where you... You could just go to every height in San Francisco and see these beautiful views. And along the way, they tell you about, you know, what they're trying to do, which is essentially put in more walking or stop signs or more visible uh, communication for drivers to let them know when a passenger is walking. So like one of their initiatives, I think, was like near Golden Gate Park. They wanted to put in a more active stop sign because a lot of tourists were going across a certain area and it was like really unsafe to cross because the cars were trying to go really fast into the park. Classic tourists. (laughs) I feel bad for them. I mean, like they're out there, they're walking, like they're trying to be healthy. Like we should help them out. Uh, Were you there long enough to observe any like, I guess, changes over time with regards to people using their phones while they drive? Like if that was getting worse or getting better over time? I actually just read an article about this recently uh, where it said that it had increased uh, a substantial amount even from 2018 to 2019. 
mainly because I'm super interested in this now uh, as designing for passengers and drivers uh, for like how we're using our phones in both of these scenarios. But when I was with the coalition, it was more just like, I mean, to be honest, like with them, I just like kind of went to meetings and like didn't really, I was not like a leader or anything. Um, uh, okay. That's just want to like clarify, but they're an amazing group of people and like definitely join in on them. They organized the like walk to work day. If you've ever heard about that too, that happens not. here. Uh, it's like one day a year where if you walk to work, you can go past one of their booths and they'll give you a sticker. Oh, that's nice. That'd be yeah. a pretty long walk for me. <laughs> Marshall shows up at like 8 p.m. Sweaty, <laughs> tired, ragged. The interstate was really busy today, guys. <laughs> okay, so I, I get the uh, the path to transportation and uh, lift on the design systems team. So tell me a little bit about the last couple of years. How's it been? It's been crazy and exciting, and I feel like I have such empathy for every team that I handed off a design system to <laughs> in the past. Mm -hmm. um, when I started, we didn't have design systems here. So I came in my first day and was like, okay, cool. Like, how do I design for Lyft? Like, what are your brand guidelines? Like, <laughs> how do I start designing in this app? Uh, and at the time I was working on scheduled rides and they were like, oh, we have, you know, like a, a sticker sheet of kind of like what the app kind of looks like, but it's kind of out of date and it's mm -hmm. not, you know, fully put together. Mm -hmm. And I sat down with Frank, who was my manager at the time, and I was like, I really want to do this thing. Like, I really believe that if you hired me for visual design, that like a design system can be our way to achieving higher quality, reducing uh, tech debt and design debt by having like a million versions of something. And I was really fortunate in my, like, I think it was probably half a year in that he was able to see the value in that. Uh, and then Linda Dong and I started, uh, with a few others basically creating what is now the design systems team, but we were definitely like raggedy to start. Did you find that there were particular objections to starting it? That, that slowed you down or took that ended up taking six months to like get approval? Yeah, I think the big thing was at the time and now I totally see this perspective. I think at the time I was a little blinded uh, was that when you only have 20 designers and I'm probably like 40 something engineers, which is what the case was two years ago. You, you might not need a system because you're in this situation where you can talk to everyone, right? Uh -huh. So like you can mm. put stuff up on a wall, you can like say, hey, that button doesn't match that button and everyone's in the same room. So there's no surprises that like you wouldn't have heard something. Uh -huh. uh, but now, now that we went through this period of rapid growth, which is I think is when they were like, okay, there is some validity to this. When I started, there was 22. There's now 130 designers. Oh, my God. Now with like many, many teams that are much smaller and they all meet separately, those lines of communication, which is like the the true nugget of a system, uh, is that like there's a, somewhere that you can point to that's a point of truth for the company to say like, okay, cool, like all 130 people, like we're going to go around this idea of like, this is what our button is, or like, this is what our color system is. Uh, so it's not like every person is designing what's supposed to be a holistic single app, or in our case, like two apps completely differently, just because they're on a different team. How, how much time do you spend telling people no? 
<laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I assume there are people coming to you constantly on their own teams or they have a very niche need and the the need isn't met by anything that currently exists as a component. Like, how, how often does that happen and how often do you have to tell them no? Or are you pretty flexible about what you'll allow into the into the system? Yeah, I I like to say that we don't say no. And instead, we go with this model of being educators versus police. So mm-hmm. I like consider like no kind of like policing. So in many cases, when someone comes to us uh, with something that's like slightly different than what the system has, we'll educate the benefits of the system versus using the one-off thing. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if you were to do this, it would take this much engineering time. Did you think about accessibility? Did you think about states? Uh, or you could take this thing that already exists, and if we make updates to it and it gets better and better and better, then you reap the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's like, okay, we're close enough that like we could convince with enough to be like, yeah, okay, I see the value in it and I'll go with that because it's going to be better for my team and the product in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always going to be cases that won't be solved by the system. Uh, and then in those in those times, we break the system out into two pieces, which is like pretty common for systems where there's a foundational layer, which we call the attributes. Uh, and that's like within our color system, within our type system meets accessibility, legibility, tapability. And as long as they're following those guidelines and they build their own thing using that, then that's great. And we're totally stoked on that too. And then that will get reabsorbed into the system or that stands alone until multiple teams have cloned the same thing and there's an actual need for it to be systematized. Yeah, exactly that point. So as long as like multiple people need it, Uh, that's when we can say like, okay, great, we're going to bring it back in because enough people have like called out the need for this item. And sometimes we're the ones to find that. Uh, We do a great job at Lyft of sharing out our work pretty frequently, like on a weekly basis. So we can start to see patterns and say like, okay, we're going to need this. But we also have uh, designers who are super proactive and they're like, hey, I'm seeing this uh, and I even want to donate this component to the system. Uh, and in those cases, we're like super stoked to have contributors uh, and we give them like a pin and a sticker at the end that signifies that they contributed <laughs> cool. back to the system uh, so they can feel really good about it, too. And then in that way, we have advocates on the teams themselves also that feel like the system is theirs uh, versus mm-hmm. it just belonging to us. It's mm-hmm. amazing how the small incentive structures can have such an outsized impact, uh, like stickers. Uh, I guess another case would be like, I don't know, yearly anniversary pins that some companies give out. Like they're these tiny, tiny things that people really, really uh, put a lot of weight into, I guess. Yeah. Huge, huge impact. And I think it's because with a lot of people, you carry your computer or you wear your jacket into like every meeting and then they're like, oh, where'd you get that dope like sticker? <laughs> mm-hmm. That looks really cool. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's our dope sticker. <laughs> we also, yeah. We also have the illustrators on our team, which means our swag is like pretty great. Like uh-huh. Meg and Nick are phenomenal illustrators. So we're like, yeah, we yep. got the sweet stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, probably some of the best. I'm jealous. 
you mentioned uh, working with both PMs and Eng in addition to UX when you're when you're putting together the system to begin with and like understanding all of their needs. How much of that was like how much of your effort went into each of those groups as opposed to just UX? You know, talking thinking about UX's problems and solving those with with components. So I think it it helps that our team uh, is a, I would say that we're almost like a engineering first team. So we started as design separately from engineering. Engineering started their own effort, which was Sam uh, and a few others. And then we combined forces. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then when we did that, I feel like we already had the grassroots in the design portion and the engineering portion to be bought into this system uh, and care about it. Mm -hmm. I would say that PMs are always the harder one because (laughs) they they want to see the impact in the business more so than the others where the others are like, okay, this is quality or this saves me time or like, I, I can understand how we get there. With PMs, it's very much like, what is the business impact of changing this particular thing? So a lot and of what times, what is? Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So for them, it's shortening the time to deploy, right? So if a designer mm-hmm. has a component that's th- already exists, it takes them less time to do it. And if an engineer can have that component and just put it in and it's already done, then that cuts down on the amount of time greatly. And then the other thing that we've done is we do, so we kind of break down what we do into like three sections. The first being build, which is like what's traditional with a design system. We like build new components. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second piece, which is super important for PMs is the adoption and migration piece. Uh, So for adoption, we will work with teams specifically with like PMs, designers, engineers, and say like, hey, you guys are coming out with a new feature. We have these items that we feel like you can use and we're going to proactively work with you to adopt those things. And then from a migration perspective, which they also really like, uh, is that we'll proactively take pages that aren't owned by anyone and we'll update them into the system. Uh, So this is like kind of seen as our goodwill to like dog food what we are selling to say Mm -hmm. like, hey, we're actually going to like make sure it works because we also have to use it. And we're benefiting the product and hopefully helping business in that way to update those items ourselves. And then the last piece is support. And that's just like making sure everything we do is documented, making sure that we have office hours and we do presentations and brown bags to like help everyone get on the same page of what we're trying to offer and do at the company. What's a brown bag? Uh, Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if everybody will know what a brown bag is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brown bag is basically like, so presentations are more formal uh, Mm -hmm. and that's like, you get a bunch of people together, usually a large group, and we'll present like, hey, we have these new set of components. They're like all messaging components or right now we're working on maps. So all map components. But a brown bag is more like for the people who really care about something in particular and they don't want the like high level version of it. They want to like go deep on a particular item. It's not like a mandatory thing. It's optional and they can come and we'll go deep into that particular item. And uh, sometimes they even like bring their own files and we like help them out transferring things over. I, th- I think the reason it's called a brown bag is because usually it's during lunch. Oh, yeah. You so bring lunch. Like, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. OK. So it's, wow. it's like you are you're so dedicated to this thing that you're willing to take your lunch to a meeting and learn about it. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, no, you did a good, you did a good job. I just wanted to get to the etymology there at the end. Yeah, uh, and you, I think you answered another question that I had 
which was the the rollout process. Like, is this something that you drop all at once, or is it a is it a rolling thing where piece by piece you you uh, replace everything? Sounds like the latter. Yeah. So we. We talked with a lot of design system teams uh, as we were trying to build our own. And one of the pieces of feedback that we got over and over again was that trying to drop an entire system or like large chunks of a system at once didn't really go over well from an adoption perspective because it felt very top down versus a collaborative effort. Uh, so one of the things that we baked into our system super early was that we were going to release early and often and that we were going to work very closely with teams. So like every component that we do, uh, we have stakeholders that are across the multiple teams that we work with mm. uh, so that they have a stake in what we're doing. They're able to give feedback. They're able to care about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in that way, we then have advocates, again, similar to like people who contribute back, who understand the choices that were made. So it's it doesn't feel like, oh, the design system team sits in the ivory tower and they mm-hmm. make all the decisions for mm-hmm. us. Like It's like we helped build this from the ground up. Uh, and that's really how we want that to be here. Uh, and so far, knock on wood, it's it's worked pretty well, I think. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious about how to educate new designers or existing designers, but also how to, I guess, provide them the right tooling where they don't have to even think that the system exists. I suppose this isn't part of the design system, but I'm looking at the color box io website which you all released i think last year yeah that's part oh, yeah. of our system okay we covered it on the show <laughs> yeah yeah it, we talked about it uh several episodes ago but i'm curious what other tools like this exist and like how tools like this get implemented internally or or how they're accessible to different designers like getting getting tools like this in app uh for example like how much of uh, is it a priority to do that versus you know static documentation yeah so uh, I'm going to put on my like Kevin Ardnot hat right now. He is our incredibly talented LPL tools uh, designer. He's the one who put out Colorbox. And for Kevin, in pre- I'm going to pretend to be able to <laughs> sure, answer as well sure. as he would. But Kevin is a very strong proponent that uh, people read, but they don't read that much. Uh, and therefore, any tooling that we can give them to help make their job easier, to make using the system easier, uh, is going to be it's going to benefit everyone. It means that they'll use things that are actually in the system. And then on top of that, like the education barrier is much lower because they're already in the product or the app that they're using to create. So they don't need to bounce between two different things uh, in order to like understand how to better use something so the the ones that we have so far that he's put together uh color box which is the one that we uh put out publicly as well uh and in sketch we have like our color drop down is just our colors from our spectrum Mm -hmm. uh so it makes it really hard to use colors that aren't in the spectrum Mm because you have to like actively go out of it right Mm -hmm. right um which i think has been super helpful uh and similarly right now he's working on uh an icon finder so you can just like quickly find the icon that you're looking for and know all the sizes that it exists in uh to help out meg and nick who are our illustrators and iconographers so he's done a lot of these tests uh, and and products within 
sketch, uh, cause that's what we use mainly, uh, to just like help our designers. And the more, every time he announces something, like the whole design studio goes crazy. They're just like, Oh yeah, that I, like, I've always wanted that. That's amazing. They also put out like a map maker where you can put in like the actual styles for all our maps so that we can try stuff out. So I think, uh, it, at the end of the day, it's our way of making the system more accessible to our like first users, the designers and engineers. And then hopefully that will help our end users, which are our passengers and drivers. Yeah, I guess as you say that, I'm just curious how your team even prioritizes things like knowing how impactful the direct manipulation tools like Colorbox or the sketch plugins are. It seems like that would just be priority number one all the time is to build more and more of that versus having documentation of any sort, but I, I suppose maybe your team thinks of it a little bit differently. How would you prioritize like what the team puts out like this? Yeah, I think for us, we're always reevaluating what is most valuable. Uh, I think like having a growth mindset with this stuff is like the best thing you can do because something that worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. When we're prioritizing, a lot of it is around how quickly we can get something out. Uh, so documentation might come out first because it's fastest and then we can build the tool that supports the documentation. Uh, so it's kind of like this rolling process of helping people as quickly as possible and then prioritizing even like the componentry that we do is based on like meeting with all the other teams, understanding what they're working on, understanding the pain points. Uh, and prioritizing sections of work like map or messaging or forms based on essentially what are the business goals of the company. Like, hey, we're all going to be focusing on this. So like we should move over and focus on that as well. Uh, so we're not like over here working on something that no one's interested in. Mm -hmm. Rounder buttons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yours are already maximally round. Yeah, they're, they're very round. They are pill-shaped to the round extreme. The so one of the reasons that I actually wanted to talk to you in the first place was because in January you started this Tap to Dismiss publication on Medium and you, I guess, have written seven posts this year so far. But tell me a little bit about this publication, why you started it. Like, what was the inspiration? Uh, how did you come up with the idea for all these different posts? I think that it's just been so fun to to read them all and follow along. It used to be basically weekly, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for reading them. I think for me, it, it was two things. One was that I'm a super lurker of everyone who writes design posts. Uh, and I've learned so much from the community throughout my period of being a designer, uh, like coming up from junior designer to where I am now. Uh, that I wanted to use it as an opportunity to give back in spaces that I felt like were lacking in documentation. So like I was having this problem and I would talk with my friend and they're also having the same problem. And like no, there's no documentation really on like how someone else had solved it or the documentation is kind of vague and hand wavy. And I, I wanted to like say, okay, cool. Like here's something that like we thought a lot about and we put a lot of time and dedication and like maybe someone else could also benefit from the experiments and the failures and the successes that we had with these things. And, you know, take that to their company and say like, okay, cool. Like they did it this way. Does that work for us? Yes. No. And then yeah. 
open these uh, lines of dialogue through Twitter and through medium to like have people agree, disagree, understand like all the different aspects of it. And then I think secondly was to like make sure that I, you know, in the weirdest way, like wasn't a fraud. Because uh, uh, yeah. like I, you know, we're making all these decisions, but I'm like, are are we crazy? And I was terrified to put out the first post because design Twitter terrifies me. <laughs> As it uh, should. How, how, why would you say that? I don't understand. <laughs> oh, well, no, never. I, I can't imagine putting out thoughts about design every week. That would be that would be a stupid thing to do for for anybody. Yeah, you guys must not know about that at all. Yeah, yeah um, I never worry about it at all. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's terrifying. So, like my my very first post, I was like, I have imposter syndrome, and like I'm posting this, and we'll just see where it goes. But Sam Soface was like very, very passionately like, you can do this. I believe in you. Just put it out there. And like, he's like, I, I think the world will like it. And I'm like, okay, thanks, dude. <laughs> he forced you to push publish. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm super grateful that he did because through this, I've met so many other people who are excited about this type of work and mm-hmm. that like are learning from this and have like some people have come back to me and say like, Hey, can you write a post about X? Like you mentioned it briefly in this post, but like, mm-hmm. I would love a more detailed post about that. Um, one of them was uh, in particular, like how we do surveys to understand like sentiment surveys, like how is the system working for you? Uh, and how would we structure those surveys? Mm. Yeah, I eat this stuff up. I love this stuff. And yeah, one of the things I was going to ask you about is how you choose a topic to write about. So the first couple ones, to, to be completely frank, were ones that like our team especially had had really tough times coming to an agreement on. Mm-hmm. So when we were like sitting down, I'd be like, man, we had this like horrible argument about divider lines, which was like, the <laughs> they're second- hard. Yeah. yeah well, really hard. In particular, it was like so silly because we had met about it. We like, we're like divider lines. Ha ha ha. It's a line. And then we all like patted <laughs> ourselves on the back. Like we finished it. Yeah. And then weeks later, like, heated heated arguments over divider lines and I was like dying laughing and I'm like this is ridiculous so I was like okay this is worth like collecting my thoughts so that sometime later when some other designer in the company is like why do we do divider lines like this like inset here not inset there that I can just like point them to this post because the post allowed me to add all of that additional thinking and stuff that we tried that our documentation doesn't really cover. Right. Has, has writing these posts eliminated or heightened your imposter syndrome? I think it's done a pretty good job at lessening it Okay. to a certain extent. I'm also now participating in uh, Kyle Terman uh, from Dropbox is putting together these like design system breakfast things, which makes me feel more normal and that I'm not crazy and that the problems that I have are everyone's problems. But I, I think that, yeah, I think that like writing it over time has definitely made me feel less of a fraud. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in these, like the, the meta 
impact of writing. Like on the one hand, yeah, you, you hopefully teach somebody something and they walk away with it. But I think there's this other element, which is probably more personal to you about like, what is the outcome of taking all this time to write these posts? I think there's probably uh, like a separate conversation about visibility into you as a designer. Like there's probably some career progression stuff there. I, I don't know how you think about it, but I feel like those are all consequences of writing in public like this. I'm curious if you've been thoughtful about, or not that you would have been unthoughtful, but like if those are <laughs> things that are weighing on your mind, like, you know, there's maybe more to, to writing than like teaching the thing. There's this, this sort of meta layer underneath around, you know, your sort of how you're putting yourself out into the world as a designer. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent for sure. I think that like I, in doing this, I mean, obviously there's like this certain, this, this will be like very honest. So my, my team, so core design is with like a lot of people who are very well known in the design community. And I think I, I did feel this sense of not being as good as them or not feeling like my opinions might be as valid as them because they were like so well known and seemingly so put together. Mm -hmm. I guess. Publicly like, put together. <laughs> yeah, publicly put together. Uh, and I was just this nobody uh, that like, I mean, obviously I'm like an incredibly hard worker, but I did have this sense of like, if I didn't put myself out there and I didn't, uh, if I didn't be more public, that I would always feel kind of secondary to them. That's really interesting. I, I wonder, mm -hmm. you know, I suppose if you feel that way, probably a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I, I, yep. I would suppose that's true. Yeah. Has has that gone away or do you still feel that? And you're like, ah, maybe one more post will will do it. One more will prove that I'm, you know, at this level. Yeah, I, I, I think that I've come to more of a, I, and maybe this is also why I've like laid off posting as much. I think I've also come to this place where I'm like, okay, well, I, I proved to myself that in doing this that I could help other people and that like I at least, you know, my friends at other companies from like my previous company are like, I saw your post and I'm like, okay, I did it. Like <laughs> I've reached the people that I wanted to prove. Yeah, like I'm out there. Yeah. Uh, and that n now I really want to focus on like making sure that the content that I'm putting out there, I'm super proud of and that the content that I'm putting out there is quality. Cause I think one of the things that I got really afraid of is that if I just keep posting per week that I won't be passionate about what I'm posting. And I wanted to like keep the passion because the passion that I had in the first posts that I put out were like very much ones that I like super cared about that thing where I was like, okay, like I'm going into this meeting and we're talking about toggle button, which was like the bane of my existence. Uh, uh -huh. On, on, uh, I think I called it like choice chip on tap to dismiss, but nobody wanted to call it that here. So it's toggle button. Choice chip? Um, choice? Yeah. What? So, well, you guys probably know this, but material design names a lot of things after food. Mm. I think Marshall uh, would know this better than mm -hmm. anybody. <laughs> Snack bar. Yeah. 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 They had like a butter bar in yeah, Gmail bar. for a it while. A, the yellow bar. Yep. 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 Um, Familiar with butter bar. Yeah. So what iOS would call a... Uh, a toggle button, which is just a button that has states that are like selected or unselected. Is, are you talking about a segmented controller or a switch? 
neither, but more akin to a switch. So like it's a button that just has an unselected state and then when you tap on it, it becomes selected. Oh, I see. I see. Oh my God. I struggled with this the other day. Uh, it, it's like, um, I guess a, a quick example would be on Twitter. If you're, if you press the follow button, then the follow button says following, following. right? Like it becomes yes. stateful of your relationship with the person. Yes, Ugh. exactly. Ugh. And then it's like, um, what happens when you hover over it? Like, uh-huh. yeah. should it say unfollow or should it say following? I hate uh, this problem. I hate that, this problem. Like, it's so do hard. You, do you say what it is or what it's going to be? Right. Yeah. Right. Does it, and then, does it imply its current state or the state it will be if you click on it? Yep. 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 And with us uh, in like the system world in particular, it's like, how do you help a user associate in a form uh, what things are toggleable? Like I'm turning you on and off and which things are just buttons to like mm. move forward. So how right. do you kind of like collect mm. and think about these UI kits uh, so that it's really apparent to the user what you're supposed to do? So when I was like setting up for this meeting where I was like, okay, I'm going to defend our choices with toggle button slash choice chip and choice chip is because from materials perspective, there are a bunch of them. So like in an email, when you're like putting in a bunch of uh, email names and they like mm-hmm. circle them in pills, they're like yeah, choice chips. chips. Yeah. yeah. And it's like choice chip bag, which is <laughs> Sam's name. I'll give Sam credit for that. He wanted to call it a choice chip bag. Oh my gosh. Uh, Cause they're like all collected together. Um, and in doing that, I was like creating this like document essentially to say, okay, these are all my defenses of like why these things should be styled similarly to each other and dissimilar from something else. And in doing that, I realized that like I had basically written an article. Uh, Mm. So I just ended up publishing that thought and then used that article as a way to help defend the choice because I had like the pictures and everything that I put together uh, that could be public and could be private for us and learn from it together. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the buy-in from Lyft's side about you publishing these things. I mean, it's all on your own personal account, but it seems like people at big companies tend to bump up against walls when they want to publish things like this. Yep. Uh, So with our team in particular, uh, everything I write goes through our comms team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep, because that's how that works. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Especially because uh, I think here in particular with what, you know, we're going through uh, that like that's incredibly important. But I think in general, Lyft has a medium and like I'm hoping that we can at some point be able to like share articles across the Lyft medium and my medium. But we'll see. That's that's the goal. I would love to do that. But otherwise su- supportive or or are people hesitant to publish some of this stuff like, you know, oh, my gosh, this is going to reflect the views of of Lyft, the company. I think in general, everyone's been very supportive. Uh, Linda, in particular, who's my manager, Uh, one of her goals was to like help us, you know, get out there and find our voice, uh, which is like really amazing to have someone who's like really focused on your career versus like just the particular job that you're at. Um, So she's been incredibly supportive in getting us out there to help, you know, spread the word of uh, at least how we're thinking about things. And everyone else in the design system community has been so open with us uh, that this was kind of like our way of giving back to that too. Do you have some, any advice that comes to mind if, if somebody's listening, that's like, ah, I really want to write. I want to kind of do the same thing, not only prove to myself that I can publish, but hopefully give back. 
uh, but maybe there's some fear there, a little uncertainty. Do you have advice for those people? My biggest piece of advice is to take that voice in your head that's telling you not to do it and just crumple that voice up and throw it in the garbage can. Yeah, <laughs> that's hard to do. Um, but I think I think the other thing that I've learned through writing documentation uh, for the system within Lyft and then writing these articles is like edit, get your voice, get your your point to the most succinct place that you can and use a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I love about your articles is that there's there's lots of illustration, meaning illustrative content of the of the words, and there's not that many words. And by the time I get to the end of the article, I'm like, oh, that's it. That's all there was. But, but, <laughs> but it was so solid all the way through. That it's like, oh, I, I got all of this really high density information. I think you do a great job of these things. Thanks. Well, yeah. And, yeah, I, I'd, I'd never met you before, but you're fooling me with the. You sound like you know what you're talking about with the whole <laughs> imposter syndrome thing. So. Well, thank you. I, I, like I said, I crumple it up and I throw it in the garbage can mm-hmm. before any interaction. So, um, I'm happy that I am feeling very cool to you. <laughs> well, keep crumpling that voice up, and uh, yeah, thanks for writing. I hope I hope you'll be able to get back to it. But I know that it takes a ton of work, and things are in transition at Lyft. So. Yeah, I'm right, currently uh, I'm currently working on an article with Sam and Kathy. So Sam's our iOS engineer, and Kathy is our Android engineer. We're writing an article about parody, so that will be uh, our next one coming out. Oh, like feature parody? Mm-hmm. Like how mm. we how we keep parody across uh, design iOS and Android. Oh boy! Wow! Sign me up! Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been great, Lindsay. Let's let's wrap. Is there anything you're particularly excited should about I, besides should I the box? Oh, 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 never mind. <laughs> Let's Sorry, wrap. Go uh, ahead, Marshall. Lay down a track. Is that how you do it? That was so bad. <laughs> that was what really bad, Marshall. <laughs> I was trying so hard too. Damn it! Uh, three out of ten. E for boots, effort. Boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats and boots and cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Old school. Well, this has been great, Lindsay. And before we wrap up, I wanted to, I guess, call back a, a question we used to always ask our guests, which is what keeps you up at night? For me, uh, what keeps me up at night is empathy for our users, 100%. I think that we struggle sometimes as designers and engineers to understand the variety of people that use uh, what we make all the time. Uh, So I've been trying to find ways in which uh, I can help other people have empathy for maybe somebody who's deaf or someone who's blind or like my mom who's older and has her phone with dynamic text all the way up to Mm -hmm. 100. (laughs) Making Marshall's life a nightmare. (laughs) Yes. Uh, no, I'm you know. with you on all this stuff. I'm with you. It, yeah. It's not easy. But, oh, I, but, uh, I'm just saying we've we've lamented the uh, complexity of dynamic text in the past. Yeah. Yes. But I, I feel you on all the, you know, hard of hearing, hard of seeing. Yep. With yeah. you. I think that's like, uh, it's it's such a big thing. And we have, uh, we have at Lyft, we're super fortunate that we have Marco, who is blind as one of our developers and consultants. And wow. he is very, very... Uh, like 
super welcoming and wants people to understand, like, these are the pain points that we're having. This is how we could make this better. And I think having him here has helped people have that sense of empathy, not just because it's someone telling you to think that way, but to see someone trying to use what you created and struggling. Yeah. What a valuable resource. Well, yeah. Lyft had that thing that has gotten so much positive attention where it's uh, if if your driver is hard of hearing while you're waiting for your ride, Lyft will sort of show you beginner uh, ASL. Yeah. That's so cool. I, I feel like that could be its own exploration of like what other little things like that companies have put together great. to you know bridge gaps between people who have different experiences like that. Yeah. Love it. These beautiful moments of communication. Yeah. That sounds like a blog post. Uh, Ooh, uh, love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they write themselves. They I'll write put themselves. it in the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do uh, you have a list? Do you have like a running uh, list of things you want to do? Yeah, I keep like little notes here and there, especially when I have like we we have disagreements as a team. I'll be like, okay, that's that's a good one to talk about, or we'll have a moment where like someone's like, oh, I don't understand how that's valuable. I'm like, okay, let's talk about why oh, it's valuable. That's a great idea. Yeah, just yeah. jot all of those down. Yeah, backlog. Because those happen all the time. Like I'm sure you guys also have that happen to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Daily. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do cool things? Oh. Do you want to do a cool thing with us? I don't know what cool things is. So uh, you do, you haven't listened to the oh, you, did, liar. you didn't listen all the way to I'm the end, liar, Lindsay. I'm a liar. I'm sorry. Um, so at the end of each episode, Marshall and I share a cool thing that we found during the past week. Doesn't have to be design related. It's just like here's a cool thing to yeah, share. We've shared. Oh, mine yeah. is usually Books, like music a movie. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I'm totally down to do that. Yeah. Uh, this week, the photo of the black hole came out, and oh, I learned. Oh my god! Dude, I've been watching YouTube videos on that shit. That's awesome. So it's cool. amazing, and I got in a huge debate with my husband on uh, how space photos are colored. So, hmm. uh, what was the debate? Because I called it painting, and he got really mad about it. Because uh. he's like, "It's not painting; it's science." <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's more so that like. The scientist is deciding between do they want to replicate what would be visible by the human eye or Or, do they want to replicate like what we would see if we could see x-rays, gamma rays, mm -hmm. like all these other things, which they do have a design system uh, with a color chart of how they Mm -hmm. replicate those things. So it's not painting, as Mm -hmm. he was very quick to tell me. But I was always like, I see these space photography and it looks like a rainbow. Like everything in space looks like a rainbow. And I'm like, I just highly doubt that it actually looks like that. So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. So skeptical. Okay. So to piggyback off of Lindsay's wonderful, cool thing. I have a YouTube video. I have also been obsessed about this this uh, black hole situation lately. And uh, I, I watched one video and YouTube was like, oh, you want to watch all this black hole stuff? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Actually, yeah, kind of. Um, but the, the video I watched was uh, by a channel called Veritasium. Veritasium. It's called uh, How to Understand the Image of a Black Hole. And it goes through and explains how... Black holes, like the the incredible density, the incredible mass of a black hole warps light around from the backside. So when you're seeing kind of this halo around the black hole, really what it is, there's an accretion disk, kind of like how Saturn has. And because the 
gravity is so high, it bends light from the back side of the black hole around to the front side. So you actually are seeing through it, like around it, because t- uh, space time is warped Whoa. around the black hole. It's really cool. And so he's got, you know, uses a, a, a real world example with, you know, a ball and uh, pieces of paper and stuff to show you exactly what's happening. It's super cool. Learned a lot and nice, nice little addition if you've been paying attention to the to the black hole, like some some background info. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, I'll keep my cool thing space related then mm-hmm. and uh, cheat a little bit. So, okay. Lindsay, for the last two weeks, Marshall and I have been talking about a sci-fi series called. Well, I guess the series is the Bobiverse series, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's a trilogy. So, we'll update. From uh, Brian's book corner. So I finished book one, <laughs> We Are Legion, parentheses, We Are Bob. Uh-huh. So Lindsay, the, the premise here is, this isn't spoiling it, right, to, to explain the first no, chapter, no. Marshall? <laughs> a, soft, uh, a 30-something software engineer sells his company, makes a bunch of money, buys a like cryogenic freezing subscription in case he dies, and then basically immediately dies and wakes up hundreds of years later and as an AI resurrected from his human brain in AI form, and he's sent off into the cosmos to find uh, a place to, he's humanity's last hope. So he's like trying to find other planets for us to go to because Earth is shit. Okay, Beautiful. sounds amazing. I'm in. Yeah, and that's that's the first chapter, so like no, no spoilers. There yeah. really. Is that uh, accurate, Brian? Yeah, yeah, that was better than okay. I could have ever done it. Anyways, I finished book one, amazing, and I'm halfway through book two, also amazing, thoroughly mm-hmm. enjoying it. Uh, so I'll continue my cool thing uh, endorsement of this series. I also have gotten the some interesting man. Archimedes and the Deltons, man. So oh good. man, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll let our listeners get to that. That was in due time. dark enough. That's no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no spoilers there. Uh, but now my my Amazon recommendations are all sci-fi books, so I'm kind of perusing those as well for some more follow-on reading. So hopefully, I'll have some more future cool book things. Cool. Cool Very things. Cool. Everyone, I'm so We're proud cool. of you. <laughs> We're cool, <Science>. everyone. <laughs> Space. Wow. Well, awesome. We're, we're going to look forward to your next blog post, Lindsay. Thanks so much for taking the time. And it was really great to meet you and, and learn a little bit about what you're working on. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to be on here. Really dream come true, guys. So thanks oh. for helping with the imposter syndrome. Oh, stop it. Got you. <laughs> Pshaw. All right. Well, we're done with cool things and we're done with uh, the podcast, I suppose, Marshall. Yeah, it's over. Do you want to go backwards through it? <laughs> nobody nobody tweeted about that sick reprise after at the end of the last episode. Reprise, reprise. Is it reprise or reprise? Because you said it both ways. Yeah, I know. Episode. I fucked up. Well, because you reprise a role, but okay. you have a, a musical reprise or a reprise. thematic reprise. Yeah. Yeah, well, nobody seemed to notice. Uh, (laughs) So no reprise for you this week. (laughs) Um, No, that was it. We hope you enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Lindsay. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. We're at DesignDetailsFM. Let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have feedback for us, if you have questions that you want us to answer in future episodes, please tweet at us. Uh, The DMs are open and Marshall and I both read those. We might not respond, but we're reading everything. Um, We really appreciate everything that's coming in. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Before we go, be sure to check out Abstract. Abstract is a design workflow platform that extends the technology of Git to enable open collaboration between design teams and all of your organizational stakeholders. 
Companies like Intuit, Cisco, and thousands of others across 75 countries rely on Abstract to bring all of their design workflow into a single place for designers, developers, and collaborators in your company. Go to abstract.com and sign up for free. They have a 30-day trial available for you and your team. Once again, that's at abstract.com. Thanks so much, Abstract, for making this episode possible. And if you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. Mm-hmm. And as always, thank you, Sarah and Drew, our fantastic editors and producers and masterers that make us sound a whole lot smarter than we are. True. So thank you, Sarah and Drew. They're doing more great work over on the Spec Network. So once again, that's spec.fm. And that's it. I think we're we're out of uh, thank yous and goodbyes. We yeah. uh, will catch so you. So many all. words. Don't no no words are left. We're all out of words. And <laughs> I'm ready for bed. So yeah. go get some sleepy time, baby boy. Yeah. Well, we'll catch you next week. <laughs> all right. Bye. Oh, throaty. Uh, yeah, that one kind of hurt. Vibrated my <laughs> vocal cords. Hold on, let me try that. Yeah, yeah. Try one more time. Mm-hmm. Bye. Uh, too normal. Give me something a little. Give me a little twist this week. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Now I'm on the spot. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. A little, yeah, a little spritz. A little yeah, spritz I had to reach of... deep into the repertoire for that mm-hmm. one. But bye bye. <laughs> Put a little stank on it though. <laughs> a little twist. <laughs> well, a, a little English, uh, one might say. Mm-hmm. 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 Ta-ta, ta-ta. <laughs> For now, I think we've Cheerio. already done that Cheerio. one. Cheerio, <laughs> cheerio. All right, Marshall. Catch All you right. later. See you, bud.